Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to give you a state house update of legislation that's moving through the Ohio legislature that will protect the Ohio State House and also protect state government buildings and personnel uh, in the wake of the riots and the uprising we saw this last year. We're going to bring you to some news reports from this last year in one of the interviews we had with then County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. He is the uh, County Prosecutor of Franklin County for many years. He did not win his reelection. Unfortunately, he's a very good man. He's done some great work. I think he was there for 24 years. But he got a lot of things in motion. We're going to talk about how the rule of law really makes a difference. Uh, And so for those who are saying we need to defund the place, uh, we need to uh, draw back and let uh, protesters and rioters do what they want, that is not the case. The Bible says, really, that uh, there's consequences for actions, and, in that, and actually that the law enforcement does not bear the sword in vain. We want to draw your attention to Senate Bill 34. This is a piece of legislation introduced by State Representative Andy Brenner. He'll be on the program with us in the next couple of weeks, along with State Senator Tim Schaefer, to talk about the two pieces of legislation that he introduced. That would be Senate Bill 16 and Senate Bill 41. Senate Bill 16 protects police and fire and emergency service personnel when they are out on their runs. What we have seen in recent months, even here in Ohio, has that police and fire and EMS personnel have been accosted when going to the scene of either an accident or maybe a disturbance, or, you know, obviously the police have been uh, the targets of abuse as well. And these are the men and women in blue that we really uphold and pray for because they help keep the peace. They have been deputized by us as a civil body politic to do just that, to uphold the laws that we as a representative form of government have passed. Well, we're going to take you to an audio clip from ABC of Columbus. This is from last year, of course, uh, May 28th. We're coming up on almost the anniversary of May 28th. That's when the George Floyd... Uh, riots broke out across the country, and Columbus was targeted. In fact, uh, we have on our website uh, the testimony that we presented in committee of Senate Bill 34, and again, it's called the State House Security Bill uh, that was introduced by State uh, Senator Annie Brenner. We also have on there a link of the 35 pages of call log of the Columbus Police Department that details every broken into building and looted building on the night of May 28th of last year, which basically Columbus, Ohio, became a war zone. But uh, then, through the month of May and into June, there were other disturbances and protests and vandalism at the Ohio State House. There's two specific dates we want to draw your attention to. That was May 28th, as for the first time in 163 years, the Ohio State House became the target of vandalism and violence as rioters went to the state house, broke inside it. Their intent was to actually light a fire, and as they said in one uh, report, to burn it down and to put it on live feed. 
Well, Governor uh, DeWine was very upset of what happened a few weeks later on June 18th when protest rioters took red paint and uh, defaced the pillars, the steps, the monuments outside of the State House. And this was in broad daylight, and we still have not gotten answers as to why State Highway Patrol stood down that day and did not uh, intervene uh, to these uh, protesters. A few, um, none of them were arrested that day, and we're going to learn in this program just how they were then pursued by County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien and later did face charges and prosecution, thankfully, because somebody is upholding the rule of law. That was uh, Ron O'Brien, but some other good things have come out of that as well, and so it's important that we uphold the rule of law. Let's go to that clip of ABC News report. Again, this was from last year. Uh, after the June event of the defacing of the State House and what then Governor DeWine said it about it. The State House has been a repeated target, and Governor DeWine is vowing to put a stop to it. Jeff Reddick live at the State House tonight with more. So, Jeff, how, can, how does he plan to do that? Well, you're going to see a lot more armed presence from troopers with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. For example, you can see them now. Four to six of them have been posted by the McKinley Monument here out front. They're also posted at the main entrances to the State House. And way up there, you can see they're also still posted outside the Columbus Monument, which has seen some vandalism, too. This is all a much greater police presence than we had seen over the last two weeks. And that's because vandals had again splashed paint, including red handprints and words against police across the building last week. It eventually took a private company to wash off much of the vandalism. This is a part of protesting that the governor believes has no place in Columbus. He says he will not tolerate it, and neither will the highway patrol. My instructions to them uh, is that when there is vandalism, when there is any act uh, that's illegal, uh, they are to investigate it, and they are to take that once they get the case, uh, and to take that prosecution, and we're going to seek prosecution. The governor had also noted that small businesses in Columbus have seen vandalism as well. He said that that is also not to be tolerated because these are businesses owned by men and women who've put work into them for many years and don't deserve to see their dreams dashed by vandals. That was a report from AB6 News. Uh, that was last year, of course, during uh, after the uh, uh, protest, painting protest at the Ohio State House that actually cost $163,000 of Ohio's taxpayer money to fix the damages of both May 28th and June 18th of last year. And as you heard in that report, Governor DeWine urged the superintendent of the Highway Patrol, Mr. Richard Fambro, to actually protect the people's house. Let me read this statement to you that the governor issued last year. I have spoken with Ohio State Highway Patrol Colonel Richard Fambro about security at the Ohio State House, and I shared with him my anger and disgust at the vandalism that occurred there yesterday. I support the right to peacefully protest. However, defacing, damaging, and vandalizing our state capitol and its grounds are wrong, and such actions are criminal. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is conducting a criminal investigation into yesterday's acts, and they will send their findings to the appropriate authorities for potential prosecution. That's what Governor DeWine stated last year uh, after the State House was defaced. Well, 
It has taken this long, 11 months later, for legislation to be introduced and for the Ohio legislature to finally weigh in to start protecting the people's house. Some of these crimes, uh, amazingly enough, were only misdemeanors. Uh, So even if you were to prosecute them, they would only be facing misdemeanor charges, although County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien, you'll hear later in this uh, segment, is uh, he was pursuing felony charges. But uh, Senate Bill 34 will elevate them to felony charges. Let me read to you from our testimony as we submitted yesterday to the Senate Judiciary Committee in the Ohio Senate. That's Chairman Manning. It says, Ohioans were shocked and dismayed that the People's House had become a target of vandalism by anarchists who were attempting to use the People's House to send a message. And that message was sent through violence and vandalism. Ohioans were stunned and wondering why such security breaches were occurred and were allowed, resulting in vandalism and destruction at the historic Ohio State House. The vandalism and destruction that the Ohio State House suffered in May and June of 2020 was the first time that the Ohio State House had become a target of such wanton vandalism and destruction in its 163-year history. The Ohio State House actually housed Union troops during the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln, the great abolitionist president, visited the State House in 1859, speaking for two hours against the evils of slavery. He visited again on his way to Washington to take his oath of office, and his final visit was when his body had laid in state at the rotunda after his assassination. The Ohio State House does not represent oppression or slavery or racism. It represents the People's House in a representative form of government. The, do- the doors are, o- are open to the public to share their views on public policy. There was no reason for the violence of vandalism, that, uh, but one cannot argue with the mob. SB 34 represents another step forward in a rule of law. It will increase the penalties for arson and related offenses, criminal damaging and endangering, and provides additional modern high-definition security cameras. Well, that's what was needed, and so the damages that took place back on May 28th of last year and June 18th, there was a way in which County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien did pursue those criminals and then finally brought them to justice. Let's hear from the interview we conducted last summer with then County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. We're talking yes. with uh, Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. And, of course, uh, Franklin County is where the city of Columbus is in central Ohio and where our state government is hosted. And, of course, unfortunately, the scene of riots on May 28th and then again on June 18th as um, uh, paint vandalism took place to the state house. Now, Ron, uh, as you as that we heard on that uh, audio clip earlier in the program, this paint actually they had to the, they had to hire a contractor with special equipment when they first came out to try to power wash it out. Uh, the next couple of days, they realized that the power wash unit was destroying some of the sandstone. So they had to rethink how they were going to do it. And they had to hire and uh, acquire some special equipment for the paint removal. This is not just simple, you know, paint. And of course, uh, you know, this was really expensive damages. And it, it between the broken windows and the paint vandalism, it amounted to $160,000, but that cost is bound to go higher. Uh, you have some indictments 
statements on the June 18th event. Let's talk about that, the painting incident. In fact, in other words, we could say you caught them red-handed. Tell us how that happened. Yes, actually, uh, how the people were identified, because uh, the Ohio Patrol uh, stopped some people who were heading towards the uh, steps in the front of the state house uh, and thought that they had you know prevented them from doing that and uh, while they went inside, another group arrived, and they painted uh, put their hands in the red uh, paint in the cans and then put their red paint handprints on those oh, probably six-inch diameter columns that are uh, across the front of the state house, and then on these uh, steps, um, probably eight or ten, twelve steps, uh, some of that is marble, uh, going up to enter the state house, which that material was uh, porous, and so when you got paint on it, it um, went into the columns and went into the concrete and the marble and it was very difficult as you just mentioned to remove so they had had and did hire a uh, special cleaning crew to do that and they did get it cleaned up but uh, the delay in getting some charges filed on that and actually on the fellow that broke into the state house the question initially was uh, was it a criminal trespass which is a misdemeanor that would be handled by the city attorney's office, or was it something more serious such as vandalism with uh, damage to government property that would make it a felony where we would handle it? And so we uh, did further investigation, first trying to identify the people, and luckily the people that had the red paint in front of the state house, they bragged about it to some uh, news media, and we were able to, through that process, identify who two of them were, and then the Highway Patrol and the Columbus Police reviewed their body cams to see if they could see who the individuals may have been that were, uh, and they identified two other people that way. So right now there are uh, three people charged with vandalism, criminal damage, and a criminal mischief for the red paint incident. And there is a fourth that we have a file on who's not yet been charged, but he was just identified through that process of looking at the surveillance uh, video, which I might add, uh, the, as a result of the, these incidents, that we found that the surveillance uh, cameras inside the state house itself uh, were old enough that they were very poor pictures, and you actually couldn't identify the people that were uh, trespassing in the state house after they broke in. And I've had a conversation with Senator uh, Andrew Brenner, who is uh, going to get some money in the budget this year to improve the surveillance cameras. That's right, high-resolution cameras for the exactly. statehouse. Exactly, Be- because uh, we'll have a robbery at a, uh, uh, a small grocery store, and they had better video equipment to identify the robber of a small uh, a corner grocery store than they had in our statehouse, which I found somewhat amazing, Chris. Well, that was uh, then-County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien, who did some tremendous work, as you can hear in that interview. In fact, the transcript of that entire interview is part of our testimony that we presented to the Ohio Legislature this week and the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's Chairman uh, Manning's committee. And again, um, that is because Senate Bill 34 is being heard, excuse me, and that is the State House Security Bill, Senate Bill 34, which will elevate these crimes to felonies. So it's going to be very serious for these folks. Let's talk about, so 
you know, Prosecutor Ryan said, uh, O'Brien, excuse me, said that they had 142 arrests, ended up having a number of uh, people charged. Uh, this was after the riots last year of both uh, uh, May 28th and then, of course, uh, in between, uh, there was other activity that went on in downtown Columbus. It was actually a war zone for a while. All of it was boarded up. Some of the buildings are still boarded up nearly a year later, and uh, uh, but uh, things have calmed down quite a bit, thankfully. And again, law enforcement's doing its job, and the rule of law is prevailing here, and that's what's so important. So let's let's bring into this the idea, as you've heard in this program, St. Joseph's Catholic Cathedral. Again, a protest group, a pro-abortion uh, feminist, radical feminist group, came into the mass of the Catholic Church while it was in progress, and they were observing uh, a, a memorial for the unborn. It was in observance of Roe v. Wade. It was in their own Catholic cathedral. So these anarchists broke in to the service. They began a disruption. They had placards. They had bullhorns. There were shoutings and profanities. And they thought they were going to get away with it. And this was all on Columbus Dispatch. We actually, and the video was out there in the media and on Channel 10 in Columbus. And we, at the Ohio Christian Alliance, one of the things we do is bring to you relative, relative news and information. And we put that out as well. If you're not on our email list, you need to do that. Go to our website, Ohio Christian Alliance, and sign up to our email alerts. We'll make sure you get that information in a timely manner. And also, you'll find on our website this completed testimony, which is basically 23 pages of testimony. It put us uh, basically a year to put all this information together that we presented before the committee, a very comprehensive report to the committee, again, supporting Senate Bill 34. We're also gonna, we've also presented testimony in Senate Bill 16 that protects police and fire and emergency crews when they're out on their rounds. And then, of course, Senate Bill 42, uh, that's, uh, you know, it, those who want to riot, uh, look, we're all for exercising your ability of the First Amendment, and we'll defend the First Amendment, your right to even protest and um, bring your grievances to government. But when you start criminal acts of vandalism and violence, you're going to face the law. And uh, these, uh, Senate Bill 42, will actually elevate to criminal felony charges, those who commit assault and property, severe property damage during times of riot, and get this, with restitution. So we're going to weigh in on that bill, too, and we're going to support that. That's Senator Tim Schaefer, and he introduced Senate Bill 16 and Senate Bill 42. Its companion is Senate Bill 34 that we're talking about right now. But um, when you consider all this, what, what, why is that important? Well, it's important that we're talking about our state government. We're talking about Columbus, Franklin County, and, of course, where our state government is hosted with the state house, with our state Supreme Court. Uh, the, ju- the Justice Senate Center is there. Uh, that's where our state auditor, our state treasurer, our state attorney general all conduct the acts of their offices in Columbus, which is our state capital. And again... What I read to you earlier, in the 163-year history of the historic Ohio Statehouse that basically played host to President Lincoln, the great abolitionist president, there was no need for that building to be a target of anything. It doesn't represent racism. It doesn't represent slavery. In fact, uh, there's a wonderful placard there commemorating the two-hour speech that uh, President Abraham Lincoln gave uh, and, and, and speaking against the evils of slavery and in 19, uh, excuse me, in 1859. 
Uh, and then later, after he was assassinated in office, his body laid in state. The, the building's historic. Uh, it's open. It's the, called the People's House. It's our house. It's where we go to discuss public policy. We may not always agree with our fellow Ohioans, but it's where we can civilly discuss uh, issues of government. It doesn't need to be a place of anarchy. So these people that uh, basically violated the law and brought vandalism, that was vandalism. That was a crime against you and me as, our, as, as we are Ohioans, because it's our house. It's maintained by the taxpayers, and it's protected by the Highway Patrol. Well, they didn't do a very good job that day, and when you go to the website, you're going to see basically all that had happened with the painting um, uh, vandalism that happened at the State House that day on the monuments. The beautiful monuments have been dedicated over the years, the war memorials. The state motto itself is there in bronze, and they deface that as well, and it's called, With God, All Things Are Possible. Well, there was clean crews that came. They had to use special equipment because the porousness of the marble of the building, they didn't want to destroy that while they were trying to get the paint out. And uh, so those people are facing charges. Well, this new bill will mean that they will face restitution. And I dare say 163000 and actually it's more than that, folks, because we're going to press uh, the folks who work at the State House and maintain it for a more accurate accounting of what happened there. The State Highway Patrol reports that you'll see in the testimony were a little woeful. What I mean, they're too thin. Where did we get our information more accurately? Well, you can hear from County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien and the fine work that he did in his team. But also, what happened with... Uh, uh, the Columbus police in their call log that they provided, and it was 35 pages of call log of what happened on May 28th. Let me read uh, for you a few lines that just jumped off and actually was very disturbing. It said, West side of State House, this is on the May, night of May 28th, all fired west side doors running uh, State House. Uh, troopers have them at gunpoint. Uh, that's because they broke into the state house. They had to discharge tear gas and rubber bullets. And it said, we are getting a report that they want to set the state house on fire in, in live feed. Well, thankfully, that did not happen. And those people were uh, arrested that night. And then charges weren't immediately filed, unfortunately, due to the um, city attorney, a Democrat, a liberal, and he didn't want to do anything. Thankfully, County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien did pursue charges. And now that we've actually urged city government to do something, back to the St. Joseph's Cathedral, those people who weren't charged that day have since been charged. You know, folks, people at the end don't want to go to jail. So let's fast forward. Last week when there was a protest at the uh, police precinct downtown Columbus, the protesters at shows in the Columbus Dispatch came in front of the State House. But they did not go onto the grounds of the State House. They thought better of it. Why? Because they don't want to have their keister put in jail. If you enforce the law, people will obey the law. And that's what we need in a civil and peaceful society. So we need to pray for law enforcement. We need to pray for those who serve us in government. And uh, we ask you to go visit our website and listen to the the uh, website, the testimony of the presentation we gave to senate bill 34 the the state house security bill that's at ohioca.org just search ohio christian alliance that's uh and it's all on our website and sign up for our email list thanks for listening god bless we'll see you next week
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We actually have a very special guest this week. Former Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin is going to join us. He is now the president of Young America's Foundation, and he has a goal for that organization, and actually to fight back against the cancel culture and the Marxist movement in our nation, and actually to prepare tomorrow's leaders to actually fight going forward for the cause of freedom. I'd like to play an audio in introduction to our guest of the project they are now launching. Let's let's take a listen. America is under siege. We see it on our campuses and in our culture. The left started its takeover of our colleges and culture over a half century ago. And the new administration is working to take over everything we hold dear. That's why, as the new president of Young America's Foundation, we're launching The Long Game. The Long Game is a bold plan that will invest in our young people for generations to come. It's built on the foundation of a national organization with roots that stretch across the country, an organization that has a proven record of educating young Americans about the ideals of individual liberties, free enterprise, and traditional values. This is about enacting a plan that outlasts me and you. William F. Buckley invested in education. Ronald Reagan fought at Berkeley, and I stood up against 100,000 protesters in defense of freedom. 
We must change not only public policy, but also public sentiment. And it's going to take more than just a news cycle, even a presidential cycle. It's going to take the long game. Universities are now a place of indoctrination instead of education. Those who create popular culture are trying to cancel our views. And big tech wants to block us. Our plan starts to change that right now. We're going to redouble our efforts to restore our colleges and universities. And we're going to start fighting back in high school and junior high, too. Instead of teaching our students to hate America, we will instill in the hearts of young Americans a new sentiment, one based on freedom and the values that made America great in the first place. President Reagan warned us that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. It has to be fought for, protected, and handed on to the next generation to do the same. Or someday, we'll be telling our children and our children's children about what it was once like to live in the land of the free. Our bold plan, The Long Game, provides the tools needed to defend freedom today and for generations to come so they too may have the freedoms that we've enjoyed. Governor Scott Walker, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, you can tell we're pumped up and excited about this long game proposal because the uh, the left has been at this for some time, and uh, in some ways we as conservatives and Christians have, have been asleep at the switch uh, with all the things they've been doing in our in our uh, schools, our colleges, but increasingly, as was mentioned, even in our culture and our communications these days. So that, that's why we're we're aggressively pushing the long game. We're happy to be on to talk with with you about that and, and to engage your listeners as well. Absolutely. And so, you know, for such a time as this, we believe, Governor, that you're called to be the president of Young America's Foundation, a great organization with a great history, going back to William Buckley and Ronald Reagan and through the years, and has uh, really uh, encouraged and launched young leaders into the public arena. And we believe for such a time as this, have you been called to this position? And I'll tell you, when I watch the video, and I encourage people to do that, to visit the website, again, that's YAF. Org. That's YoungAmericasFoundation.org. And you can see that inspirational video because it really lays out what the plan is going forward. You know, Governor, as uh, after the election of 2020, people really thought that uh, President Trump was going to win in resounding fashion. And for all intents and purposes, here's a president that said uh, did what he said he was going to do. The economy turned around under President Trump. Uh, Americans were earning more money, had more opportunity, uh, minorities, women, things were really clicking along. But, but am I looking at the cover of a Libertas uh, quarterly publication from a few years ago? It shows all the different major uh, magazine publications of disparaging uh, comments about our president. And I mean, this man faced an onslaught of the cancel culture within media that tried to take him down, and then with big tech and, of course, with nefarious activity in some of the states with uh, voting systems, they were able to pull it off. And I think a lot of our folks were stunned and are trying to dust themselves off after the defeat and wonder, how do we go forward? Your thoughts? Well, there's no doubt about it. In fact, we, for years in our offices at the Young America's Foundation, we actually have a wall filled with all those different uh, magazine uh, headlines and covers, and you're right, not only against Donald Trump, President Trump, but, but you've seen over the years just this uh, growing bias, certainly in the media, but we've seen it seep in the culture and even in the communications we have with, with uh, the censorship from big tech, whether it's on 
uh, Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Uh, and this is one of those, again, they, they didn't just start this overnight. In many ways, this goes back to the 1960s with Saul Alinsky. And, and I remember decades ago, Bill Bennett, who was serving under Ronald Reagan, warning that if the left takes over education, higher education, communications, and other forms of, of information, uh, they're going to control the agenda. And that's exactly what we see. It, and it's why, in particular, it's so important to start at the the youngest ages, not just in college, but but even in high school and younger, because we knew, particularly in our colleges, I went to college, for example, at the end of the 80s, at the end of Ronald Reagan's time in office, and there was bias there. There were liberal professors, but you could talk and have a discussion and, and, and not feel completely alienated. In the 90s, we started to see political correctness seep in, but really, in the last few years, we've seen just this absolute turnaround where it's outright cancel culture, where you, you can't speak up if you're concerned, you can't speak up if you're a Christian, not only as a student, but as a professor or even teachers in kindergarten through 12th grade. And so that's where, to me, you look at what happened not only in the elections, but, but what's happening even now with poll after poll showing young people embracing socialism, uh, an, an idea that we've seen fail time and time again around the world and yet our young people are buying into it largely because that's all they're hearing. They're not getting the facts. Our plan is to turn that around. It, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to just be a new cycle, maybe not even just completed by the next presidential cycle. But we have to engage in a long game plan to turn this country around. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust We're talking with Governor Scott Walker. He is the new president of Young America's Foundation. And, of course, there was a lot of excitement about uh, the governor taking this new role and uh, with a great organization that really encourages young people to get involved uh, and to actually dedicate their lives, no matter what profession they would enter into, to be a difference changer for conservative good. You know, the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, this is a time for us to restore the foundations. You know, Governor, that's kind of the initiative of what we're doing as an organization. Lots of organizations began to take stock and reevaluate at the end of the year. And some actually were thinking about just closing up and thinking maybe it's over. 
well, I'm so glad that a Young America's Foundation is not one of those organizations and that you have actually the long game in mind, uh, that it's not just a, a presidential or election cycle that you're after, but it's more of a, a cultural change that starts with the next generation. So we want to partner with you as an organization. In fact, this last year during the pandemic, I had young leaders come to us. Uh, I'm a little older in the game. I've been doing it for a while and I'm in my early 60s, so I would be kind of a mentor to these young people. But they came to me. I didn't seek them out. They they sought us out, and uh, from they were from the clergy, from the business community, uh, you know, bas- basically an industry. And they're they're coming forward and they're saying we want to do something. And here's some of the things that we're fighting against. One young minister is fighting against the social justice movement. Actually, it's Marxist doctrine within the church, and that's permeating. I just had another report of an Assemblies of God district superintendent taking his Wednesday nights to take his congregation through social justice uh, typeism teaching. And I'm thinking, wait a second, this uh, stems from Marxist doctrine in Central America. And this young uh, pastor I was talking to, he is so well uh, schooled on this, he's ready to give presentations. That's the kind of people, young people, you're looking for to be tomorrow's leaders. Isn't that right? Well, that's right. And it's the pushback, because again, you see, we just did a, a poll we released just uh, yesterday in, in advance here of, of uh, the traditional tax day. Obviously, some of the questions were about taxes, but it was about other issues. And we asked, we did not a survey of our students, but of a, a random nationwide survey, general population, roughly 800 high school students, roughly 800 college-age students. And uh, we've been doing this repeatedly over the past year because with all the schools and campuses closed, we wanted to continue to stay in touch and see what the trends were, what was happening with our young people. And there's both bad news and good news. The bad news is that we've seen uh, even more so in the last year that young people have gravitated towards uh, what they call progressive ideas on culture, on uh, you go down the line, on race. I mean, they they put racial uh, issues up at the top of the list. You talk about things like climate change and other issues. So they they overwhelmingly are, are in that camp of being uh, on the radical left. That's the bad news. The good news is uh, is that what we found is when we ask questions about some of these issues and then we follow up uh, with facts, uh, for example, not surprisingly, uh, particularly amongst college-age students, overwhelming majority said they want the federal government to forgive their student loan debt. But then when we ask as a follow-up, do you believe that someone who did not go to college should pay uh, taxes to pay for uh, that uh, debt reduction or debt removal? Uh, over, again, the, the answer changes. Strong support for saying, no, that's not fair. Why I bring that up is what it shows is, particularly with this long game proposal, how important it is uh, to make the case not just on this issue, but any number of issues. And you mentioned on critical race theory, um, BLM, Black Lives Matter organization. These are not race issues. These are BLM itself is led by three fully acknowledged uh, Marxist sympathizers and organizers. This, to me, is part of a larger strategy. They failed with Marxism in the past uh, because America is not a class-based society. Anyone can achieve whatever they set out to in this country, doesn't matter what class you were born into. So now they're coming back trying to invoke uh, Marxism based on race and sex and gender. And we got to push back. We, we as conservatives have a better alternative. Our, our message is we love America. 
Uh, we love it so much. We want not only our family to succeed, we want others' families to succeed. We want to enjoy the freedoms and opportunities that are uniquely available here in these United States, and we want that for everyone. We don't pit one versus the other. We want those successes for everyone, and that's why we're, we're working so hard with the long game. Revisionist history, obviously, this last year we saw it uh, in full display. The New York Times released the 1619 Project, and of course this was meant to upend the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims' Landing. They didn't want that to be the narrative in the general public. I have a good pastor friend who's an historian in Plymouth, Mass., and actually he uh, leads a congregation there, but also they do reenactments of the Pilgrims and teach the history of uh, the Pilgrims. And of course the Pilgrims didn't own slaves. Neither they, they actually purchased the land that they came. They didn't come to conquer anybody. They came to make friends. So that didn't really fit with the narrative of the left. So what did they do? They released this faulty, uh, fictitious 1619 project, uh, you know, initiative from the New York Times, and began to proliferate it across the country, and, and people glommed onto it. And my good friend up there, uh, Pastor Paul Jaley, of course, uh, they were looking for a big celebration, the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims' Landing, and unfortunately, because of the pandemic, all events were canceled. Now, there may be something this year, and our good friend Dave Barton, historian, is going to be doing some big events up there, hopefully this year as well. So this is how we began. We're going to be in this battle for a while of this this tug of back and forth of, of who is going to control the narrative. Your thoughts on that? Well, again, this is why it's so critically important to get to young people and get to them sooner. Uh, our organization, uh, yaf.org, is the website if people want more. In fact, if you want to get a copy, I'll mail you a copy of our long game plan absolutely free, yaf.org slash long game. But, but why it's so critically important, we include uh, our efforts to expand to every campus in America, to do more to engage college students, uh, to do more to bring speakers and to do more to fight for free speech to make sure that conservative voices can be heard on, on campus. But we know beyond just college, we've got to go you know, not only into high school, but into junior high, uh, these earliest ages where, where young people are just starting to make their minds up. We even have to go and give parents of elementary school students materials and support to counter uh, much of this, whether it's the 1619 Project, whether it's some of this other curriculum changes, I was on the other day with a, uh, a radio station in Chicago, and they were telling me about a story of a second-grade teacher they exposed who was teaching Marxism to their children in second grade. This is the radical indoctrination of the left. You see it. it it's not in fact another prime example. We have a big tip line that we're, we're, we just started kicking off. It's going to be a part of our long game plan as well. We get tips on outrageous left-wing professors, radical ideas of campus. But one of them we found earlier this year, uh, right at the start of the year, was from Iowa. It was Iowa State uh, student told us about the local school district, not even the college campus. The local school district partnered with BLM for Black History Month, did a BLM week of action, which had nothing to do with black history, everything to do with indoctrination, where they, from kindergarten, actually preschool through 12th grade, imposed this curriculum. And in kindergarten, they were giving these little kids coloring pages with uh, uh, depicting transgender characters on and telling them they could pick whether they wanted to be a boy or a girl or somewhere in between. This is how deep into our schools they're going. That is fundamentally wrong. And again, this is why at every stage of the game, we've got to be fighting this battle 
or we're going to lose the war uh, for the heart and soul of this republic. My daughter and her husband uh, t- putting their uh, young son in school in, in first grade, and you know, she was homeschooled, uh, and she's thinking, well, I'm not going to be homeschooling. Well, she's homeschooling now, Governor, because when after the shutdown of the pandemic, the first week they started with LGBTQ-style uh, teaching for a first grader. My daughter saw the materials and asked the teacher, what is going on here? Uh, and within those first few weeks, she talked to the principal administrator, and they were all on the same page that this was necessary and required uh, curriculum for the, uh, the age level. And that's when my daughter said, enough. If I can't win this here, I'm pulling him out. And so she's homeschooling our, our gra- oldest grandson. So parents are fighting this in real time. Uh, so, But let's talk about one thing where you know, a lot of our folks are bemoaning because they're saying, look, they have the major media. They're well-funded by the political left, whether it's uh, Simi Valley, Big Tech uh, is uh, funding them. Uh, obviously, all the foundational money is coming to them, George Soros's money. And, of course, they have the seats of government right now as well. They control that. So we really feel outgunned on our side. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I came of age under Ronald Reagan, so that not only is a big reason, along with my family, my church, my scouts and others, big reason why I'm a, a conservative, but I'm also in large part because of the influence of Reagan and an optimist. And so uh, I look at a couple key things. One, nationwide, yeah, in Washington, it's an absolute mess out there, but I, I look in the states and overwhelmingly uh, conservatives are still in charge of our state legislatures across this country. There's a, a significant majority there. There's still uh, a good number of conservative governors. There's some great examples. Uh, I, I tried to be one when I was governor of Wisconsin, but I, I think, for example, someone like Ron DeSantis in Florida, Greg Abbott in Texas are, are being great examples, countering some of the nonsense we're seeing out of Washington, D.C. But then the other part I, I stress is again what we saw in these polls uh, and the old you know, phrase it's always darkest before the dawn and so we see with young people um, not only the the polling that shows that, that that they're embracing a lot of these ideas but we also know that that's largely driven by the fact that that's all they're hearing from the earliest of ages and so if we can just make a dent with this long if we can start to level the plank we can start to find new ways to get information out and, and God bless your daughter uh, for being, and all the others who are homeschooling. God bless the people who are in a position where they can either afford themselves or because of a state like mine, uh, through a voucher, they're able to go to a, a private school to find an alternative. But my view is we cannot, even with all those options out there, we still have to fight in every school, whether it's government-run or private. We still have to fight in every scenario because we cannot concede this for too long, as, as conservatives, I think we look at, at these battles and say, okay, um, you know, we, love, we want to spend time with our family and running our businesses, and we don't get involved in the powers of government and education, higher education. If we want to have this country that we love so much, this historic, uh, monumental, exceptional country, the greatest in the history of the world, we've got to step up and make changes. Well, we're going to look back, as Reagan said, and and point and tell our children and our children's children about what it was like to once live in the land of the free. And that's just fundamentally unacceptable. So I'm optimistic enough to know that the reason why the left is pushing cancel culture is because they know our ideas work. 
They know they can resonate, particularly with young minds, and they want to block them from happening, which is precisely why we've got to work so hard uh, with this long game plan and with our partners helping in this effort to turn things around. Because when we do, it'll make a difference. Absolutely. Governor, I think one of the encouraging things is as well, right after the election, I heard from some good folks who have been involved for a long time and saying, that's it, I'm done, voting's not worth anything. I, you know, they, Of course, that kind of reaction was understandable to a point because they were so devastated uh, in the election results uh, of what uh, was being claimed, of course, as the election results. But anyways, that said, um, the good news is they're re-engaging those same people. And I, so I have to kind of be a little bit of a pastor here and, and wait them out a little bit and encourage them along the way. And they are getting uh, re-engaged and, uh, and fired up. And so the good news is the base is starting to revitalize here in Ohio. And I think it's indicative across the country uh, that the conservative cause is going to have a return. And, uh, you know, even though we've had some losses, I mean, Rush Limbaugh was really a national voice. Every every day at noon, you could tune on uh, Rush Limbaugh and kind of get the assessment of things. He was a voice of reason. He was a voice of understanding of what was happening politically in Washington and across the country. We don't have that currently with Rush being gone. Of course, they're doing some programs now with some of the guest hosts on. But there's going to have to be new leaders, young leaders that are coming forward. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, the bottom line is it's interesting. You you began the show with a reference to Esther. And, you know, when Mordecai came to Esther and they looked like all was, you know, they, they were they were, looked like everything was horrible. They were feeling uh, much like many of the people you referenced, that they were down and out. Uh, they were seeing this uh, horrible outcome likely to happen to the Jewish people. And, uh, and Esther was afraid of taking action, but was told, hey, you're called for a moment such as this. And I think that's an incredible reminder to everyone listening that that whatever frustrations you had from last year's election, uh, you know, God's got a bigger plan. Uh, he's got much smarter than we are. I always look back and say God's got a better plan and, and usually a better sense of humor than I do uh, when looking at uh, situations uh, in the past. You look back and think, okay, this made so much more sense. And I think right now it's just a vivid, vivid reminder uh, that that we're called not to wallow uh, in in our frustration or in our pain or our sorrow, but rather to look forward and say, okay, what is God calling us to do next? And I, I believe He has blessed this country just like He's blessed the state of Israel. Uh, he's blessed America, and we need and we need to stand up and and not just hope somebody else is going to do something about it. We need to be a part of it, and that's why again, if folks want to join us if you're a student listening if you know a student if you got a son or daughter niece or nephew grandson granddaughter or you're just a concerned citizen i'd love to send you a copy of our long game plan yaf.org slash long game we'd love to have you in this fight because it's so important for the future of this country thank you governor we appreciate what you're doing and we'll pray for you as the new president of young america's foundation god bless you my friend thank you glad to be on thank you well, if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. 
That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.